0: And this is One Strange Thing, the show where we search the nation's news archives for stories that can't quite be explained. Well, strangers, it's that time again. We're back with another soaring tale of unidentified flying objects. To set the mood, we want to tell you about an interesting little release from the CIA, something they dropped back in 2016. Consider it a appetizer to today's tale. So, in 2016, the CIA issued a very odd press release titled, How to Investigate a Flying Saucer. And, believe it or not, this missive actually included information on how to do exactly that. Perhaps they would have rethought this fun little exercise, which was timed to come out along with the reboot of The X-Files, if they'd known that Storm Area 51, They Can't Stop All of Us would become an incredibly popular meme just three years later. The CIA, always thinking. Now, Their investigative tips amounted to a broad overview of the procedure developed during the Air Force's infamous 1952-1969 mission known as Project Blue Book. If you're a government nerd, you might ask, why would the CIA release this if it was an Air Force project? Well, maybe the CIA has been going for more of a fun look. Maybe they were jealous. In any case, there is actually a better, historically-based answer to that question. According to Network World, who extensively quoted the CIA's release, one-time chief historian Gerald K. Haynes wrote that, Although the CIA was not directly affiliated with Project Blue Book, the agency did play a large role in investigating UFOs in the late 1940s and early 1950s, which led to the creation of several studies, panels, and programs. According to the Palm Beach Post, Project Blue Book used to be called Project Grudge until its name was changed in 1952. The Air Force chooses not to tell us what the names mean or why the name was changed. The government is mysterious that way. In any case, an agent of Project Blue Book's first order of business was to assess the level of possible danger posed by the alleged otherworldly presence, then to conduct a scientific study, then to attempt to explain or identify all UFO sightings. How was that done? Well, a special agent from the nearest base was sent out to the location, and their job was to conduct interviews, investigate alleged contact, and find out what, if any, mundane aircraft were in the area at the time. The Air Force was certainly in charge during an event that took place in New Mexico more than half a century ago, when one of the most famous alien encounters of American history occurred. And no, we're not talking about Roswell. Today belongs to a Socorro, New Mexico police officer named Lonnie Zamora. Back in April of 1964, Lonnie had a very bad day. And we think it's fair to say that, in a metaphorical sense at least, that very bad day kept on happening to him for the rest of his life. We can't help but notice that there are an awful lot of law enforcement who've had run-ins with aliens. We think back to our episode titled The Chase, which also featured a lawman, an unusual aircraft, and the mysterious director of Project Blue Book, one Major Hector Quintanilla. But let's start where we always do, at the beginning. A week in April in 1964, where, across a 200-mile stretch of New Mexico, the Shreveport Times reported that five people alleged to have spotted unidentified flying objects. Those sightings came in from La Madera, a town 50 miles from Santa Fe. From drivers on the road to Albuquerque and from Socorro, where both Lonnie Zamora and a teenage girl reported an egg-shaped craft in the darkening sky. Well, actually, Lonnie saw it on the ground first. Like we said, he had a very bad day. According to the New Mexican newspaper, Lonnie Zamora was 30 years old in April of 1964. He'd been working for the Socorro Force for a few years, and was settled in town with his wife and two children. Lonnie had a good reputation as an honest, serious man. Years later, his wife, Mary, would tell the Albuquerque Times, My husband is a simple man, but a good one. Others agreed, like Lawrence Romero, who'd worked with Lonnie on the Force. He was real friendly to the people and always willing to help everybody, and he knew a lot of people. In fact, on Sundays, we used to make it a practice to go visit people. We'd park the police car and have coffee with the elderly, stuff like that. He'd make that his PR day. So Lonnie was a well-liked man with a secure job, living a normal life. That is, until the late afternoon of April 24, 1964. According to the Associated Press, Lonnie was alone in his patrol car, which wasn't the norm. But his partner had just taken a dinner break, so Lonnie was alone when a Chevrolet sped past him on the New Mexico Highway. Lonnie screeched out after it to give chase and followed for several miles. However, he was soon distracted. Per the AP, he heard, quote, what sounded like two explosions and gave up the chase to investigate. That noise came from higher terrain, where a dynamite shed was housed You can imagine why Lonnie might be concerned about a potential explosion. The Associated Press reported that, gazing up into the hills, Lonnie Zamora didn't see an exploding shed. Instead, he spotted something that looked like an overturned car. But that wasn't all. There were two things moving around the vehicle, small figures in what looked like white mechanic's overalls, and they seemed to be busy. According to the Albuquerque Journal, it looked all the world like they were tinkering with a giant metal egg, balanced on spindly legs. Lonnie wasn't sure what to do. Should he get closer and investigate? Ultimately though, the decision was made for him. The creatures spotted him and began to hurriedly move around the ship. They were preparing for takeoff. Lonnie told the Danville News, If I had run down there, I could have seen a lot more, but I took my time. Then, a big noise started, and it came up and hovered there. I could hear a loud bing, bing, bing. I didn't know whether to shoot, start running, or call for help. Eventually, Lonnie chose the call for help option and radioed for backup. Even as he held his radio, Lonnie watched in amazement as the egg-like vehicle rose from the ground. Per the post-standard, it suddenly zipped off at what was described as amazing speed, nearly taking out the dynamite shed and leaving, quote, "...depressions in the ground, scorched earth and vegetation that continued to burn through the next day at the landing site." According to the AP, State Police Sergeant Sam Chavez was dispatched to help and arrived in just a few moments. Lonnie swore that the UFO was still visible off above the mountain range, but Sam didn't see anything. I wanted to keep it to myself, Lonnie said, but Chavez made me report it. Sergeant Sam Chavez had his reasons. He hadn't seen any spacecraft, but he had noticed something on the ground. Per the AP, quote, there were four spaced wedge-shaped impressions on the ground, nine to 15 feet apart, as four corners of a square were in a scorched area. They were about four inches deep. Sergeant Sam Chavez told reporters, tersely, something definitely landed here. Lonnie Zamora's report sent New Mexico authorities into immediate action. That included the higher levels of government as well. Soon, the rural highway near Socorro was flooded with military vehicles, which led Lonnie to wonder if he'd witnessed some kind of strange weapons testing. According to the Danville News, Lonnie remembered, I thought at first that it was some kind of Air Force plane because the Air Force took charge of everything and was so busy. But when questioned, Army Captain R.T. Holder of the White Sands Missile Range told AP journalists, "...I reported to my superiors that neither White Sands nor Holloman had an object or mission at the time of the reported occurrence that compared with or could produce the situation reported." Lonnie was thoroughly interviewed, of course. What could he tell them about the vehicle, the figures, how had it moved? After some time, he remembered that, though there had been no doors or windows, there had been some markings on the side of the giant egg. The Danville News described the craft as sporting a particular red insignia, V like in shape. Lonnie drew that for the investigators. He'd later tell the Albuquerque Journal, What did I see? It was more frightening than anything that could happen. If you're a policeman, which I was back then, and you get in a gun battle, you're scared. But once it's over, it's over. But this, you can't forget. Lonnie Zamora would not be the only person questioned that week, though he would be the most famous and the most thoroughly interrogated. As we mentioned, four other people in the area surrounding Socorro would also claim to see an egg shaped spacecraft in the sky that late April. Or, well, actually, five people. That last one wouldn't be discovered until decades later, but we'll get to him in a minute. The La Madera sighting was reported, contemporaneously, by a man named Orlando Gallegos. The Oshkosh Northwestern reported that Orlando had stepped outside that evening to, we're being serious here, chase away herds of wild horses, and that may be very normal behavior in places where you're lucky enough to have wild horses. When he saw something strange blasting off into the sky, left behind on the ground was a smoldering sight, much like the remains at the hill at Socorro. Orlando described the vehicle as, quote, longer than a telephone pole and about 14 feet in circumference. He also added that its surface was smooth with no windows or doors. Orlando, like Lonnie, alerted authorities. Like Lonnie's sighting, Orlando's was initially treated with much excitement, but after a few days, it was declared a completely mundane event and explained away. During a press conference, the U.S. Marshal for his county, Emilio Naranjo, told reporters that "...our investigation showed that three or four young boys had been washing a car at the river and started a fire to burn the rags they used. That was the Flying Saucer. We've heard some very weak explanations for the unexplained in our time, but this may be the worst yet. A burning rag fire. At least put in some effort. There's much less information on the other three sightings that were reported in 1964, but we know this much. According to the Lexington Leader newspaper, George Metropolis of Albuquerque was driving back from El Paso when he saw, quote, a silver object that looked like a bathtub. Two unnamed people traveling by car near La Madeira reported, quote, an object that swooped out of the sky. And in Socorro, a teenager saw the same egg-shaped flying object as Lani. She said it, quote, landed and took off again. The sightings occurred in the same week as Lonnie's, but none, save Orlando's, received the same scrutiny. Considering the teenager reported a landing, we find it odd that authorities didn't get a little more interested. I'm sure you've heard the old adage that you should learn something new every day. It's good advice, but with so much to do, are you making time to learn and stay curious about our world? Well, with Everything Everywhere Daily, you can easily make that goal a reality. Everything Everywhere Daily is one of the world's most popular daily education podcasts. In about 10 minutes, you can learn something new every day. The show covers history, science, geography, mathematics, and technology, as well as biographies from some of the world's most interesting people. One listener says the show truly makes my day more enjoyable and entertaining. Fans of the show are so passionate, they even work to join the Completionist Club, the group of dedicated listeners who've listened to all 900-plus and counting episodes. I highly recommend you check out Everything Everywhere Daily's recent episodes on Why Are There No Flying Cars and The Little Ice Age That Happened 700 Years Ago. Learn something new every single day with Everything Everywhere Daily. Find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever wondered what it feels like to be attacked by an alligator? Or what goes through one's mind as they're stranded in a snowstorm? What Was That Like is the podcast for you. Real people come on every episode to explain the unbelievable situations they've been through. Guests share how they really felt during their most surreal experiences – they tell us what they did the morning before an earthquake, how it feels to when the price is right, and all sorts of details that you'd never learn anywhere else. If you're interested in hearing disturbing and inspiring firsthand stories, What Was That Like is the podcast you've been looking for. Every story is thoroughly researched and fact-checked, so you know that even the most unrealistic are someone's reality. Listen to What Was That Like wherever you get your podcasts. Lonnie Zamora was not a man who enjoyed undue attention, so you can imagine what the next days, weeks, and even months were like for him. But unlike other UFO ciders we've covered on this show, the town of Socorro was generally supportive of him, the town's leaders anyway. Several stepped forward to vouch for his good character. Even so, Lonnie wanted none of it. He was frightened, camera shy tired of the endless questioning, and done talking about aliens. Per the Danville News, he even asked the local paper to run an article to dismiss some of the wilder rumors. Lonnie explained, I didn't see a flying saucer. I don't even know what one would look like. He described his sighting as an unidentified flying object. Lonnie told the New Mexican, If I can forget about it, maybe it will just go away. But he was having trouble with forgetting. In fact, Lonnie couldn't sleep at night because his thoughts drifted back to the craft he'd seen and the nightmares were intense. His wife, Mary, thought that he might as well change up his shift with the police department. Maybe if he worked during those late night hours, he would have less time to be alone with his thoughts. One year after the events of April 24th, The public hadn't forgotten about Lonnie Zamora either. The New Mexican reported that he'd received roughly 2,000 letters from around the world. Lonnie answered some of them. Eventually though, he gave up. According to the Albuquerque Tribune, Lonnie said of the letter writers, I don't think they know what they're talking about. Some people try to get their names in the newspaper. Lonnie was the opposite. Although Lonnie was well-liked, because there were no other eyewitnesses to the events, that is, the ship taking off, there were doubters, and most were out-of-towners. It was rough in those days, a former fellow officer, Lawrence Romero, told the Albuquerque Journal. People question you and your integrity was in question when you said anything about unexplained mysteries, especially in the law enforcement field. In 1999, Lonnie's most notable daughter elaborated on his opinions during an interview with Skeptic Magazine. Philip Klass, a man dubbed the world's leading UFO skeptic, discussed his own experience investigating the 1964 events in Socorro. He'd visited the town himself in 1966. According to the Skeptic interview, Philip Klass initially believed that, at worst, Lonnie Zamora had seen what he described as a plasma ufo a weather event similar to ball lightning but when philip was actually in town he began to suspect that the event was an elaborate hoax now not one set into action by lonnie but by the entire town by the time he left town he declared the entire event a ruse here's what philip class told skeptic magazine I soon learned that the local newspaper ran a box in every issue saying that the most efficient way to attract new industry is to first attract tourists. When I interviewed the man who lived right near the landing site and had been working in his garden when the UFO supposedly blasted off, he told me that he hadn't heard a thing, and that when he visited the site soon afterwards, he saw no physical evidence to support Zamora's story and suspected it was a hoax. And I found out that Socorro's mayor owned the landing site property and the town's only bank, and had earlier sought approval to build a new road to the UFO site for the benefit of tourists. The people of Socorro heard Philip Class's claims. They didn't think much of them. When a reporter from the Albuquerque Journal spoke to Art Bynes, A former FBI agent familiar with the investigation, he told the paper, I knew Lonnie before that incident, and I never knew him to drink. There was never any indication of narcotics. I always found Lonnie very stable, and Lonnie wouldn't go for a publicity stunt if one was proposed. He's always been too honest. And former mayor Holm Bursom said in response to class, that man is silly. Sure, it was my land where it took place, I went out and took a look like everybody else, and I was excited like everybody else. It's like saying you saw a ghost in a graveyard, but I sure didn't plan it. But ultimately, like so many other UFO stories, it might have come down to a simple game of of tug-of-war. The skeptic versus the believers, or in Lonnie's case, the experiencer, if that's even a word. Except for one strange thing. According to the Huffington Post, former Project Blue Book director Major Kentania didn't consider the Socorro event a hoax. In fact, he described it as, quote, the best documented case on record. Even today, the Air Force classifies the incident as unsolved. Network World reported that Lonnie Zamora's claim was one of the most thoroughly investigated in the history of Project Blue Book. In fact, even Chief Officer Major Quintanilla couldn't dismiss them. Per Network World, he arranged for quote, Geiger counters from Kirtland Air Force Base to test for radiation in the landing area and to send soil samples to the Air Force Materials Laboratory. Quintanilla said, the soil analysis disclosed no foreign material. Radiation was normal for the tracks and surrounding area. Laboratory analysis of the burned brush showed no chemicals that could have been propellant residue. The findings were altogether negative. Everything that was humanly possible to verify was checked. There was no known explanation that could be found for the mysterious event. As for the lack of evidence that class referenced, well, that gets a little complicated. According to the Albuquerque Journal, it had once existed, but, both purposely and accidentally, it disappeared. Ted Jordan, another officer with the New Mexico State Police, went to the site that April day because he heard Lonnie's radio call. He had a camera with him, and he used a whole roll of film to capture the burned brush, the indentations in the ground, and what he described as, quote, footprints on the ground, shaped like coffee cups. The Air Force asked for his film. Ted told reporters, The dude said he'd give me duplicates, so I handed it over. I forgot all about it until a month or so later, then I called and asked where was the film and they said sorry, but my film didn't turn out. Apparently the officials told Ted this was due to radiation. Which is odd, considering Quintanilla's finding concerning said radiation, or a lack thereof. And even worse, those photos were the only proof that the indentations existed, because the other witnesses hadn't seen the craft descend or ascend. And according to the Albuquerque Journal, the scene had not been secured after the investigators left. It was trampled by curiosity seekers within a day or two and nothing of the markings were left. And one more thing. Remember that sixth witness we mentioned? Who, along with Lonnie and the others, reported a craft? He'd rolled into a local service station in Socorro, the same day of Lonnie's fateful encounter. The journal reported that a serviceman at a local station with the amazing name of Opal Grinder could remember it all very clearly. Opal recalled that a man and his two small children stopped by the service station the same afternoon that Lonnie had his infamous sighting. The man asked Opal if he'd seen any, quote, low-flying planes in the area, because one had just made a pass at his car down the road, and the police were tearing after it. Opal Grinder said he reported the strange interaction to the Air Force, but that he never heard back. And that's how things went with the story of New Mexico in April of 1964. A whole lot of loose ends. That space egg seen by Lonnie and Orlando and George Metropolis and the two motorists and a teenage girl and apparently a strange man at Opal Grinders gas station? They couldn't have all been a pile of burning rags left over from a car wash, that's for sure and the skeptic Philip Class's theory of a complex town scheme. That might work for the Socorro sightings, but we're not sure how he'd explain the rest. Maybe he thought a very large-scale tourist attraction was planned. Though Lonnie Zamora became famous, and was even declared a believable witness by the government, he was never happy with his celebrity. In fact, according to the Albuquerque Journal, he was much happier with his reputation at home in Socorro. He had not continued with his career in law enforcement. In fact, he moved through several jobs in the years after his encounter. Through the years, he was a landfill supervisor, court bailiff, and even owner of his own gas station. And along the way, he mostly refused interviews, although he did deign to take a turn on Unsolved Mysteries. We can't say we blame him for that one. After Lonnie's death in 2009, at age 73, several New Mexico newspapers ran extensive obituaries for him. Though his bizarre experience in April of 1964 was detailed, there were plenty of other things to remember too. His daughter, Diana, told the Albuquerque Journal he was a well-known man in Socorro, not because of the notoriety of that UFO incident, but more because of who he was and how he treated people. He was a friend to everybody. He loved to cook, he was a cook in the military, and he was sought after by many people for weddings, fiestas, graduations. But even with all the trouble he faced throughout his life, Diana told the Albuquerque Journal he never regretted reporting what he saw because that was his job. We have to say, it might feel, at first, like an achievement to be perhaps one of the only if well not accepted and fully believed then trusted and near authenticated people on this earth to have experienced a close encounter of the third kind but for Lonnie zamora it was a heavy load he would have rather worked and cooked and cared for his family what many of us would have treated as a wonder Lonnie saw as a grave responsibility, one he took on grudgingly, and that's precisely why he was so believable. It's funny how that works out. We hope you'll join us next time for another real-life story from the fine print of America's local papers. From the lives of regular people, just like you and me, except for one strange thing. Oh, and strangers, One Strange Thing is an independently produced podcast. To support the show and to hear more of the entirely true and enticingly peculiar, join us over on Patreon. There you'll get ad-free early releases of our regular episodes, full-length bonus episodes, blogs, fun giveaways, and the occasional live streams all for $5 a month. We hope you'll check it out. There's a link in our show notes.